This is Infants on Thrones. The philosophies of men mingled with humans. We are the core. Welcome back to another episode of Infants on Thrones. My name is Tom Perry. So a week or so ago, we published an episode titled Shame, where Matt, Kristen, and I talked about shame and our experiences with it. While it's quite obvious that we certainly aren't experts when it comes to talking about shame and all of its damaging factors, so afterwards, Matt reached out to Colton Miller, who had been on Infants before. In fact, he was on episode number 534, The Psychological Impact of Mormonism. Just as a reminder, Colton is a licensed therapist who practices in southern Utah and is very knowledgeable in dealing with shame. So yeah, why would we not bring someone on who knows what the hell they're talking about and possibly set us straight in some areas and definitely add some expertise to the subject of shame? Anyway, hey Colton. So here's, here's what I'd like to do, Tom. First of all, you don't know I reached out to Colton um, uh, a few days ago, actually a number of days ago, and kind of sent him a text about a, a thought I had after listening to him um, on the episode. Because I, I wasn't on that episode that you guys were on, but I was so um, engrossed with it. And I was engrossed because as I heard Colton talking, he really um, helped just kind of me kind of adjust a couple things that um, that I was able to integrate in my life, and, and the main was him really focusing on the uh, the concept of of you know feeling you know you you want other people to be doing something that that you see as being necessary rather than having preferences, and that just articulation helped me so much, kind of put into uh, perspective uh, what was happening, and it allowed me to really take stock in in my approach. And in many ways, Colton's uh, observations and, and uh, I think his insights are what led to the introduction and saying, look, this is really worthy of me um, apologizing. So that's kind of the genesis for wanting to come back to Colton and have him go through the uh, shame episode a little bit. Um, but I, what I also want to do is just, Colton, kind of if, if from your perspective, why, why you see you're here and kind of the conversation maybe we had as to where I saw there being uh, some value in, in you com coming on as well. So anyway, that was a whole lot of words to try to set up kind of why we're here right now. But I want to throw it to Colton and and, and give him his his chance to explain why he thinks he's here. I, <laughs> I just like to intrude on things, you know, and spread my right. <laughs> That's why I'm here. Um. <laughs> Let's see, where to begin? Well, I listened to your guys' episode on shame. Uh, good job, by the way. I, but I, to be honest, as I was listening to it, I kind of felt like there were some huge points that were being missed that I think if could be explained a little bit, fleshed out a little bit, it really Great. would have tied the episode a little bit better together. Okay. And so shame and... and do you want me to just kind of go through my bullet points, Matt? Yeah, or just want yeah me to sure, sure. But, here? Before, but, but before we do that, I, I also wanted to kind of be very candid with people that I reached out to you um, for, for a couple reasons, really. And, and the one is, as we're talking about more psychological issues, I want to acknowledge, you know, we're, we're not experts in this area. And we're going to start brushing into some areas that really make sense to make sure that we're not misleading people, 
that we're not creating even more problems or, or um, you know, being irresponsible in talking about things in the mind. And so that's one of the reasons why I reached out to Colton is to number one, make sure that some of the content in there is, um, you know, can have a, have a check in place and to make sure that the best, maybe the best possible information is being communicated. So this is an attempt to try to be a little more responsible to our, um, to our listeners and to be completely hands up and saying, I'm not suggesting that I am the um, authority on anything. Let's make sure that we're working towards, um, I don't know, a, a place of health and wellness and, and as, as, as much as we can approach something like that. So, and, 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 and just want to verify Colton, that's essentially how I came to you a few days ago before this episode ever came out. Is that fair? Yes. Yes. That's my understanding too. So, um, what, is this being recorded or are we just chatting here? We're, it's, re, it's being recorded. I think it's recording. Yeah, oh, it's, yeah. it's being recorded. Okay, so um, here are some of my thoughts as I was listening to your guys' episodes that kind of jumped out to me. The first one and most important thing I think that wasn't really established that needs to be established is what exactly shame is. Um, you guys Love talked that. a lot about shame, but I, I didn't really get the definition. Maybe that's just me. Um, but... I think the way psychologically that we speak and we speak a lot about shame and it's important in my opinion, shame is one of the most damaging and unhealthy emotional experiences that we have as humans. And what shame is, is essentially saying that I am a bad person because I did a bad thing, which is um, subjective. And that's different than guilt. And again, we highlight this a lot as, as psychologists or therapists, is that guilt is I did something bad. So my behavior was poor or unhealthy versus shame, which is I am bad because I did this behavior. And oh, that, that's great. That's great stuff. And I don't think we ever really did um, dig into that. So that's, that's, uh, that is really helpful for me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and guilt is, is, I would say it's necessary and it's important because if we're doing bad behavior and we're not... Okay, so I was talking about, about guilt. So I think guilt is guilt. necessary and productive because if we're doing bad behavior in order for us to work as a society and to get along with people, we need to recognize that, own it, and then correct the behavior. And the feeling that's accompanied that, again, is guilt, that we did something sure. wrong, so we need to correct the behavior. But again, shame is because I did something I don't like or I'm told is wrong, now I feel like I'm a bad person. And if you feel but like... What when about, you, go sorry, ahead. What about those situations where you um, may feel bad that you're a bad person because you did something that, you, uh, that somebody else tells you is bad, but that may not be bad? And, and I think of especially natural functions that we kind of talked about in the, in the episode, like, you know, say, say a classic... Uh, fundamentalist approach to you know masturbation, which which in and of itself, I think this the, I, as I understand the psychological community and and just <laughs> those living those with living breathing bodies, this is a this is a natural, healthy, good expression. But then when it's called something bad, and then it's received and responded to as bad, what what's the what do we do with something like that? So this is what I hear Tom referencing a lot, that essentially that we're being conditioned. Masturbation, yes. Tommy, Tom always references <laughs> masturbation almost nonstop. I'm doing it right now. 
<laughs> Turn your video feed off. <laughs> You're right. right yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we're essentially conditioned to believe a lot of things are bad when in actuality they're not. And obviously religion is one of the big forces in, in people's lives that for some reason they get to decide what is good and what is bad, be, bad behavior. And so again, with masturbation, sure, you know, when you're exploring your body, figuring that stuff out during puberty, it's not a big deal. But boy, then you go into your teacher's quorum, your deacon's quorum lesson, and then the bishop explains what you're doing is a bad and a very sinful thing, almost next to murder. Then all of a sudden, not only do you feel guilt for what you're doing, then you start feeling shame because you feel like you are a bad person for doing that, those actions. So yes, we are conditioned to believe, and, we're, and also through our parents, what is good behavior and what is bad behavior. The problem is, and this is what I talk a lot about with my patients, is when we assume or we attach what we do with who we are as people. We essentially attach it to our world. That's good. So if, if, we, good. if we do good things, then I am a good person. And if we do bad things, then I am a bad person. And that's what I talked about in the other episode, which is what we call human rating. Essentially, we're equating our actions with our worth as individuals. And if we're constantly feeling shame, well, that's going in exactly that, that internal core belief that we are worth less than other people because we're doing bad things, therefore I am bad. And if you're worth less than other people, then you start believing that you don't really have a good future ahead of you, you're a bad individual, and you should be punished for it. And unfortunately, sometimes that punishment ends up in suicide because there's so much shame on top of all that. Sure, sure. So can, can you go into a little bit more? Because obviously, at least I'm getting the impression, thinking back to that original conversation of the relation between guilt and shame, because there, there's obviously connections there. They're, they're obviously somewhat related, but you made a distinction that shame is almost always negative or is negative 100% of the time. And guilt can be used as a, like in a positive way or as a motivating factor for you know, getting you back on the right track sort of thing. So expand on that a little bit. Yeah, so I believe that shame is never adaptive and never really healthy. Because it leads to that core irrational belief that you are a defective bad person. So again, shame is believing that I am bad because I perceive that I did something bad. Where guilt is, you know, if we steal something, um, society has determined that that's not okay and that we need, we need to repair that. So it's okay to feel bad about your actions. But if you steal something and you say, I am a bad person because of that, I would argue against that because that is shame. And I don't think that's helpful because then you get caught in this cycle of where you're just constantly beating yourself up and tearing yourself down, which ultimately leads to depression and beliefs and feelings of worthlessness, which are never healthy. Right. So again, guilt is, is adaptive because again, if we do poor behavior or make bad or, or we do bad things, we need to own that and recognize it and fix it. At least if we want to, you know, be a decent human being in that way. But, but shame is never really helpful in my opinion. That's an, that's an interesting, I mean, an interesting, but a important distinction um, that, that to me makes sense. Um, I'm, I'm, um, I'm thinking about guilt and um, just again, the intersection, uh, you know, the intersection of that, especially as it relates to, um, you know, I'm thinking about like spouses 
and the manner in which we, um, you know, try to self-reflect and be, be very aware of the manner in which we're um, maybe the places where we're responsible uh, for, for our spouse versus the place where we have to step back and say, you know, this is not my responsibility. And I may be going too far here, but I'm trying to find these, you know, the, these squishy places where guilt becomes healthy to where it becomes shame and becomes maladaptive and becomes destructive, similar to where when we're interacting with a, with, with a loved one, especially in a, in a spouse or maybe a, a, a you know, parent-child comes to mind, where you um, feel, you know, I want to do things to, to impact that person um, and, and to make that person feel a certain way versus it's just not, not my responsibility. Am I, am, am I making a connection that doesn't exist? Am I going too far or is, is, is anyone else tracking where I'm going? I need you to flesh that out a little bit more, Matt. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, no, no. That's, that, that's quite all right. Um, I'm going to shift instead and, and go, uh, go somewhere else. Um, because as I was, as I was listening back to the episode, um, I was thinking of the shame I felt in when I, when I left uh, religion and when I felt deceived or when I felt, uh, you know, the, the places where um, I should have, I should have seen kind of the blind spots and those types of things as, as far as leaving a religion or, um, you know, kind of, kind of looking at, at my former belief system. And I'm wondering if, if Colton, you've, ex- you've experienced uh, patients or other people that, where that shame does impact them as well as it relates to, um, you know, feeling deceived in the past by either individuals or institutions. And if you see that as being a similar thing. I'll speak personally real quick. So when I left Mormonism, um, like many people, I was angry and I was upset at myself um, because I consider myself somewhat of a thoughtful person, but I never really engaged in thoughtful thinking until probably like graduate school, which is embarrassing. Um, But I didn't take that to a level where I said, I'm a bad person because I didn't figure this out beforehand. Um, I kind of left it on the level that I was deceived. I was not given all the information and so my anger was actually towards the LDS church because I felt they had lied to me versus applying that to my worth as an individual that somehow I was less than because I didn't figure this out earlier. So Matt, you were mentioning when you left the church that you felt shame. What, what exactly were you telling yourself or what were you upset about when you left the church? With that's, yourself? that's a, you know, that's a really good question. Um, you know, I think when you, when you come through and you feel like I'm smarter than this, or I was, um, you know, I should have seen this, you know, before. So I think it's almost, uh, uh, you feel, um, it's a reflection on, on maybe your intelligence. Um, and, and, and that's what I felt more probably shame about more than anything. Is it, is it, is it, I felt like I wasn't in on the joke or on the, you know, that, that so many other people, we're in on. Yeah. And I think a lot of people feel that I guess my argument or my counter to that would be Matt, you're doing yourself a disservice because my guess is, is you didn't have all that information that you eventually came upon when you were in the LDS church. Right. Yeah, absolutely. 
So and, so, and you yeah. tell yourself self that you try to tell yourself that, but it feels, um, I don't know, hollow sometimes. That somehow you should have just known intuitively that it was all bullshit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That especially, I, and I was similar to you. Especially, it was after I had gone through law school and gone through those, you know, uh, thought exercises and all that, and it just seemed, um, you know, nonsensical that I would go through that level of of education and and still not have, you know, wrapped my head around what what seems like an obvious fraud. Right. And that's, and again, that's understandable. I I guess kind of what I'm saying is I, you didn't have all the information growing up and it was so ingrained in all of us, you know, literally since the time we could talk, we were being fed messages about the truthfulness of the LDS church. But again, those messages were only half or quarter truths of what was actually going on. And when you're conditioned and essentially brainwashed over and over and over again, and you don't have all that information, I mean, to me, it makes a lot of sense why it's difficult or people don't leave because they just simply don't have access to all the data that they need to make a real educated decision. Now, luckily for many of us, once we did have that evidence and that data, we were able to see through it very quickly. So what I would suggest, Matt, is give yourself some props for that when you did get that information, you took it and you went and you ran with it and you made some ethical decisions rather than continuing the facade of pretending in something that you couldn't pretend in anymore. Right now. See, see now I'm thinking about this, this real angst that sometimes happens where even with that perception, you feel the less than as a person. So the shame maybe comes in there. There's this, there's this conflict of, I feel proud. I feel those things that, that you're saying about leaving the church, but yet I feel maybe like it, 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 is a reflection on me as a person, especially because of the manner in which my folks treat me or their manner in which, you know, my neighbors treat me. Uh, and depending on the, on the culture, there's this interesting conflict of both feeling that internal, maybe, Hey, yeah, this is, this is real, but yet I feel less of a person or I feel like this does impact me as a, as an individual because of the, of all the different people that are maybe, uh, really do have that view of us. Can you, can you speak to that at all? Yeah. I mean, so obviously when others are disappointed in us, then we have to do this self-reflection of, wait, am I doing the right thing here? Am I, am I heading down a track that I shouldn't be? Because these other intelligent, supposedly intelligent people are not okay with my behavior. So what does that mean about me? Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, I think so. And I, and really right now I'm really trying to go back into um, what I was feeling, you know, a, a number of years ago. And when you said that, I acknowledged that, but there was this, you know, this uh, um, kind of leftover of still that, uh, that feeling that, that maybe it does impact me as a person, or maybe this is a reflection on who, um, you know, who I am, because so many people that I value seem to be reinforcing that idea in a manner, even if it's um, uh, subtly, and it's in the manner in which they don't talk or they don't interact and all those, those, those real subtle things that I think, um, you know, the, the next Mormons experience. So essentially they were shaming you in a public way, right? They were, they, they, oh. were, treating, they were treating you differently and you bought into that. And what yeah. I mean by that I, is you, you assume that because these people that you loved and cared about or used to respect you or whatever were now treating you differently, you bought into the idea that that meant that you should feel ashamed about something. Yeah, I think that's right. 
And again, what I would argue is that's not, that's not, again, shame is meaning you're, you are a bad person. And obviously that's not true. So let me dive in a little deeper because it goes to this core belief that my be, because I'm behaving poorly and I'm going against the grain that therefore I'm the bad person. Right. And that's what the LDS church does is it's this victim blaming. It's kind of this gaslighting It's this, it's this constant idea that if you leave the church, you're the problem or you're sinning or what, or you're offended. Right. And so they want to shame people into believing that they are the problem and not the church. And again, we buy into that because again, like you were talking about Matt, when all the people we love and we care about started treating us differently, we naturally go, okay, what am I doing wrong? Or what's wrong with me? Why am I being rejected by these people? And this is why shame is so damaging because it goes right to that core belief that I am a bad person and I am defective. And if I am defective, again, that can lead you to isolate yourself and not want to burden other people with your defectiveness. And so you feel like you are some sort of a cancer or something that you need to be eradicated. And that, again, so that to me is why shame is so damaging because it goes right to the heart of that core belief that you are worth less than others because of either your behavior or, or how they're treating you. Right. In that case, so you're talking about the shameful behavior, either, either it, it could feel, it could externally imposed, um, or in some cases it really is externally imposed by family, by um, other, other people out there. But then we, when we internalize that and we allow that to take hold, we, um, we turn that, uh, that into shame, which is uh, like said, maladaptive and it causes those destructive behaviors. Did I, did I articulate that fairly? Yes. Yeah. And, and to highlight and to go on a little bit more, we naturally as, as humans, we want to belong, right? I think that's pretty universal. And so when we leave our tribes, we're all of a sudden on the outskirts. And we're being looked at funny now and people are talking about us behind our backs. And so naturally we're going to go, man, do I really want to leave this tribe and go this alone? Because that's a scary thing because survival, we survive better when we're in groups, right? When we're in our tribes. But when we leave our tribe, we go off alone. That's scary and traumatizing in itself. But then we add on the public perception of our former tribe of trying to shame us into behaving like they think we should. And of course, we're going to do a reflection about that and we're going to think about it and we're going to feel different things on different days about it. Um, one thing to take this another quick direction about feelings, um, and this might, <laughs> coming from a therapist, I think this is really important to understand. We have all sorts of feelings and emotions, right? And our feelings and our emotions are, I dare say, perfect. And what I mean by that is they are what they are. We really cannot choose what we feel. We cannot choose what emotional experiences we have. However, as a cognitive behavior therapist, what I do believe we can do is have an influence on the intensity of the emotions we feel by the thoughts that we have and by the behavior we commit. So in therapy, a lot of time what we're doing is I'm not trying to change people's feelings. What I'm trying to do is help them reframe some of their thoughts into healthier thinking patterns. So that will in turn affect their behavior and affect the intensity of the emotions they experience. So I just did this with you really briefly, Matt. I therapized you. Sorry. But I tried to help you reframe. I think I was pretty willing, Colton. <laughs> <laughs> I won't even charge you for it. So I was, try I, I was trying to help you kind of reframe yeah. 
you know, when right, you left right. the church and instead of just going with the feelings because feelings are misleading and we need to be, lo- in my opinion, it's more important that we are logical and rational than just believing whatever our feelings are trying to tell us. Because again, feelings are not a good denoter of truth. And this is evidenced by easily by, you know, church stuff. How do we know the church is true? Well, you pray about it and you feel good. Well, there's lots of evidence to show that we feel good about a whole lot of other things that may or may not be true. And so what I'm saying is, again, feelings are great. They are there. They are valid. But when it comes to decision-making and, and behavior engagement, I really believe in checking in with our logical, rational brains instead of just going with our feelings all the time. So how does one do that? Does that take time? Is, are there techniques um, in order to, to not let those feelings really just take control? Yeah, I mean, that's a lot of, I think, what, what therapists are trying to help people do is, I mean, and there's different approaches to this, but, you know, one might be, you know, we can just acknowledge our feelings, identify them, kind of observe them, kind of as a passive observer, but not let them control this. So this is one approach, real quick, I'm getting kind of tangential here, that when I was at BYU yeah. Provo, and we ran all these sexual concerns groups for guys who were struggling with pornography and masturbation, this is the approach we took, essentially. And this is going to be very simplified. But the idea is, is you can feel these intense, unwanted emotions, such as hunger or boredom or loneliness or horniness, etc. And just because you feel those things doesn't mean you have to run and eat something or run and hide or run and look at porn. That you can learn to sit with these difficult emotional responses, observe them, and then after you sit with them and experience them, then you can decide what you want to do with that rather than just being impulsive and being directed by your emotions. So I'm horny. Oh my God, I got to go run and you know, watch porn. No, you can be horny and learn to sit with that without engaging in supposed unhealthy behaviors. Same thing with hunger. I can sit here and be hungry, but I don't need to go sit and binge eat a whole bunch of brownies just because I'm hungry. I can experience hunger. I can learn to sit with that. And then after 10 or 15 minutes, I then can decide what I want to do next rather than acting out of emotional impulse. It almost sounds like you're, you're kind of teaching different ways or methods for people to become more self-aware about things. Take a second to think about what you're doing, analyzing things. Um, I don't know. I think, I think a lot of ex Mormons kind of go through that because of the identity crisis that they go through. It might be just, something that just naturally happens i don't know but i mean that this is this is a hard thing to accomplish to become that self-aware to like course correct in the moment (laughs) that is a hard thing because uh there's so many habits there's so many sort of uh things that you're fighting against that i'm sure you're aware of that you know like just as matt was talking about i'm kind of you know visualizing in my own history in my own mind about my own uh, struggles with shame in the past. And um, I didn't, I didn't feel like it could be corrected at all because I, you know, if, if I felt shame in the moment, like you're telling me that, it, you know, if I think about it a little bit more and think about what the irrational thoughts are that are coming into my mind and that it's not real and whatever, like feels real to me. So it is real and that's all that matters. So I don't know. <laughs> 
yeah, no. So yes, obviously what I'm trying to explain here is complicated and it takes a lot, it takes some practice and some work, but let, let me ask you this real quick, Tom. So l- l- I don't know if you drink alcohol now or not. I don't. Okay. Uh, I got to think of another example. That's not. <laughs> okay. I drink his for him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it might does. Well, let's, let's just, how about uh, like a sinful thing? So a sinful thing. Well, I mean, it's like you swear now. Okay, that's pretty evident. Yeah, I swear. Don't go to church. Okay, did you swear the same as you did now as when you went to church? No. Okay, so let me just ask you this real quick. When you were actively LDS, if you had been told the message by Jay Golden Kimball that it's okay that you curse, that you don't need to feel guilty about that, that even Jesus cursed, do you think that would have changed your feelings about it? Maybe. I, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I, I was aware of Jay Gold Kimball. My dad used to quote him all the time like, well, you know, I don't need to stop my swearing because I repent too damn fast. <laughs> so, I, you know, I, I don't know, man. This, this might be a bad example, but if the prophet like Gordon Hinckley, I don't know when you left the church, but if Gordon Hinckley got up in conference and said, you know what, everybody, swearing is okay. We don't need to worry so much about that. If you curse, I promise God's yeah. cool with it. Yeah. Would that, had, would that have had an impact on how you felt about if you would have cursed? 100%. Yeah. So that, that's all I'm saying. I think what we, what we tell ourselves about our behavior or events we're going through has a critical impact on our emotional experience and on our behavior. Okay. And to come to those on our own is quite difficult, as you were highlighting. But that's why I'm a believer in therapy that if you need somebody to reflect this upon or you need to check in with somebody who's being more rational about things, that can helpful. That can be helpful. And in therapy, I practice all the time with my patients what we call disputations. So rather than just believing you're a bad person because you cursed, let's dissect that a little bit and see what else it could mean or what else you could tell yourself about cursing other than you're just a bad person. Hmm. So again, it is complicated, but it can be done. Yeah, and I think I do think that yeah. that's helpful to point at, you know, the I don't know blind spots or the fo- the external forces that are that are bigger influences on them than they might be willing to acknowledge. So anyway, go ahead, Matt. No, no, no. I, I'm um, that's that was oh, my mind's going a lot of different ways, um, but I'm locked into your notes here because I keep looking at them, um, and I think of, of, of there are suggestions of ways to make sure that we're leaning on maybe our, especially as it relates to children, if we're we're parents, leaning on um, their guilt rather than on shame. Because that seems like such a, um, uh, I don't know, a needle to thread where there's a risk of, of, you know, trying to correct or adjust our kids and turning it from, you know, I want you to feel guilty about what you're doing into, I'm shaming you. Do you have any thoughts or suggestions on that? Yeah, so that's, that's oftentimes when I work with parents and children is we need to highlight the behavior as the problem and not the child. So let me give you a personal example. When I was 12 years old, I had done something naughty, right? And I remember my parents calling me into their bedroom and saying, we know what you did and we are so disappointed in you. And to this day, I remember that because sure. I felt shame. For the first time in my life, I knew what shame was because I had, they were disappointed in me as an individual. So I interpreted that as I'm bad. 
you know, I did something bad, therefore I am bad. So a lot in therapy, what we try to teach parents is let's use different verb, you know, verbiage here. Instead of saying, I'm disappointed in you, say, I'm disappointed that you did this behavior and this behavior is not okay. And we still love you, but this behavior needs to be corrected. So that kind of talk rather than just shaming behaving, which we all do. I have a two and a half year old daughter. I'm not perfect (laughs) at this. It's really difficult. I try to be really mindful that when she's climbing on the coffee table, when we told her not to, we say, Lucy, get off the coffee table, please. You know, we try to talk to her about her behavior rather than just, Lucy, get down. You're a bad kid or whatever like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's really valuable. I'm, I'm just, I'm thinking of even supervisors that I have, ha, have had that will, you know, would correct and always say, look, no one's mad at anybody. Doesn't make you a bad attorney. You, you, you know, you, you did something that we can correct and that we'd rather you not do. And he would always lead with that. And just in, in retrospect, a reminder of how, um, I don't know, just, just <laughs> how responsive I was to that in that context and how it, it may be uh, helpful uh, to always think of that, that concept as it relates to our kids. Cause fuck our kids. <laughs> if we came from a, a Mormon church, I've already got enough uh, built in shame that the more we can reduce it by using these techniques, like you're talking about, it seems the, the, um, the better off. You, you talk about, you talk about um, humiliation versus shame. And kind of the distinction between that. Can you can you flesh that out a little bit more? Yeah. So it's, um, pretty basic, but shame is the personal individual experience. Like within myself, I've you know again, I feel like I'm a worthless person because I did this. Or humiliation is the public uh, display of that. So that's when other people have figured out your behavior and they publicly kind of acknowledge that or go after you because of that. So again, shame is the personal experience. And humiliation is a manifestation of that in a public setting. So like the Scarlet Letter or on Game of Thrones, you know, when they make what I can't remember their freaking names, but they sit and yell, shame, shame, shame at her. Who? Sorry. Cersei. That was Cersei, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So that's, that's them humiliating her. That's them trying to publicly shame her, right? And that's powerful. That's really powerful. That's the same thing as... You know, when you, when you can't take the sacrament because you're unworthy or whatever, how shameful of an experience was that for sure. people? You know, that other people are, you know, oh my gosh. You know, that's what you're assuming. They're watching you. They notice that you didn't take the bread or the water. And so again, yeah. the assumption is, well, I'm a bad person. I'm doing bad behavior. I mean, what an awful medieval thing to do to people to try to, it's a scarlet letter is all it is, is right. we're going to publicly right. shame and hum- humiliate you into behaving. Well, I think about how, how Kristen kind of brought up, you know, the, the feelings with she's outside of wearing a, a different uniform, you know, the non-garment uniform and how that's that, that feeling of, uh, for many people, kind of humiliation and, and, and I will be looked at a certain way if I'm not, you know, that, that external, you know, the, the dress and the way, the thing, so many things that, the, that, that tribes do, but particularly religious tribes do to um, force either loyalty tests, um, you know, or expressions to show that you are with them. And, and, and that, you know, applies not just to the Mormon church, but other, um, you know, either organizations or even uh, sometimes people who demand loyalty tests. Yeah. 
Agreed, Tom. I, I actually I do agree. I just it kind of it kind of leaves me a little speechless because I I don't know my I was thinking about parenting right where they have a certain expectation and the thing is is like I remember even just because I was the oldest child I, I used forms of guilt and shame on my siblings that I, at the time I wasn't aware of to get what I wanted you know as a form of manipulation um I don't know man it it's kind of making me feel bad. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad this is really working. <laughs> yeah, right. Now, right. Guilt. now you've got guilt, right? Yeah, yeah, that's good. yeah, I do have guilt. Yeah, it's not shame. I don't feel like I'm a terrible person because of it. There you go. But I, I do feel like um, I should have known better at the time. But of course, that, I mean, now we're talking about a little bit touching uh, the surface of remorse, right? And, and I know Matt brought this up, so it's been floating in my mind, but I have a lot of remorse. And a lot of people ask me, do I have any uh, uh, remorseful or feelings about like my mission? Because I hear a lot of ex-Mormons say, no, man, it was the greatest time in my life. I wouldn't change it for anything. And I still kind of reside in that, ah, I wish I wouldn't have gone. I, I Yeah, I, I do regret it a lot. Huh. So anyway, do you regret for you? Do you regret it for what you did, you know, for other people or a combination or something else? No, it's, it's, it's a, it's a multi-factor thing, right? So I don't regret helping other people. Um, I regret the time spent. I regret uh, some of the experiences and how they sort of shaped me. I feel like I, I could have been shaped in a little bit, well, in a lot better way um, in any other, uh, experiences life experiences whether it be college or peace corps or just you know any sort of other service thing i think I, anything I huh <laughs> pretty much and because i mean we've talked about this before i really do feel like that it, being in a missionary environment is the most cult-like thing that you can experience right you know, right, your, right. Ident your identity is taken you're on your you're in uniforms your your time's scheduled right down to the minute so yeah so yeah, Tom, this is a ton of Tom as you're going to get. Right, right, right. So Tom, can I can I ask you? So obviously you're reflecting on your mission experience now, where you're at in life now. Yeah. And so you know the saying, hindsight is twenty twenty. Of course. But when you were in that mode in life, you know, I don't. You didn't have all the information you have now. You were just doing what you thought was right. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. And expectations, so, and yeah. Yeah, you were just doing what the tribe told you to do. Mm-hmm with a promise of a really hot wife when you got back or something. <laughs> I, I didn't, I mean, I don't know. Is that so, in the back of your mind? Probably short, it didn't, short on that one. It didn't feel like the carrot on the stick to me at the time, but yeah. 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 yeah so I, I'll reflect real quickly on mine. Is that all right? So sure. I, I went on a mission. I went to Haiti and I don't know if, you know, people know a whole lot about Haiti, but you know, it's a fourth world country. And when I went, you know, I was stoked because it was a unique mission. It was a foreign mission. Sure. I'm just a dummy from Idaho trying to go out and save the world. Right. Right. But, uh, you know, my mission was critical for me in my faith transition because, you know, it took me out of Southeast Idaho. I was exposed to a whole nother culture, a whole different way of life. People literally dying in front of me, coup d'etats while we're there. I mean, wow. it was, you know, there were a lot of, you know, we don't need to get into the details, but as I reflect now, I have serious regrets about things that I said to people. Sure. That I actually had the gall 
to look at a single mom who lived on less than a dollar in a day a dollar a day and essentially tell her that if she didn't join my religion and pay 10% her and her baby weren't going to make it to the top VIP heaven so i regret that and i i feel some guilt over that but at the same time i don't feel shame because i was just doing the best and what i thought was good at the time mm. Now, would I ever go and do that now? Hell no. Of course I wouldn't. In fact, I try to do the opposite in many ways of save people from religious <laughs> ideology and cults. But again, so hindsight is twenty twenty. Shame and guilt will always play a role in all of us. You know, We're never perfect at that. But what I'm suggesting is that's okay. Just because we do bad things again, that doesn't make us a bad person. And when we get into that dichotomous thinking, it can be really damaging. And so this is going against a lot of what we're raised to believe. And I know it's kind of a philosophical point, but the idea that there is no such thing as a good or a bad person. And I know that's really hard to grasp onto that for a lot of people. Well, yeah, because a lot of people have been believing that their entire existence, you know, that I'm, I'm this bad person, you know, just putting on this phony front of I'm, I'm going to pretend like I'm normal or that I'm, getting by as a good person, but deep down inside, anytime they close their eyes, there they are, that bad person. Right. And in therapy, what we try to do is follow the logic of this. Like, how do we determine if somebody is good or bad? Right? Like, what makes somebody good or bad? Well, yeah, it's, pretty, right. it's pretty subjective. I mean, if yeah. we ask the Mormon church, well, if you drink coffee and you don't wear your garments, you're going to hell, essentially. Or if you're gay. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. Heaven... You know, okay, so this, you know, boy, now you got me on a tangent. <laughs> so, <laughs> or, this, maybe, or maybe on the main road. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this, the shame factor. Okay, so Utah has the highest rate of youth suicide in the entire United States. That's a pretty well-known statistic. Right. Why is that? Okay, so we're doing research on this, et cetera. But it seems to me there's some pretty obvious anecdotal evidence that suggests that it's because when LGBT youth particularly commit suicide at higher rates than, than straight youth, it's because they no longer fit into the tribe. Yeah. They, they are scarlet lettered, right? Yeah. And they feel isolated and they are rejected and they feel ashamed of who or a major part of who they are. Yeah. Because this, because of now of who they are actually prevents them from getting back into that box that the church has set. Well, exactly. and now you've conflated what they've done to who they are when you deal with the gay, gay issue. So you can't ever say, no, 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 this isn't a reflection on who you are. This is just what you do. Right. And that, that, to me, stinks up as this, what makes that position so um, from Satan. Damaging. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> from Satan. Yeah. yeah so, yes, yeah, so a lot of these church lady in it there. So a lot of these LGBTQ youth, I mean, obviously they don't fit the mold anymore. Right. They're different. They're not part of the tribe. And they're constantly hearing these messages from conference or church leaders or whatever. Right. That, it, that, that, that who you are is not okay, essentially. Yep. And, and, and therefore, you know, anyway, so we could go on about that. But the shame plays a huge role in the suicide rates, particularly in Utah. Yeah, it does. And it's not just the, what was the other factor that they said that is relevant to the suicides in Utah is the high oh, elevation. Please don't say it. Oh man. You're going to say altitude. Yeah. I said high, high elevation because that, I mean, that's what, that's what the, one of the <laughs> newspaper 
uh, locally reported on that. And then, yeah, uh, a lot of the church leaders said, yep, exactly. That's what it is. It's the, well, that's what, it's oh the high elevation. elevation. Yeah, that, that's what they do. They look to any other possible explanation before the most obvious one. And it's <laughs> maddening. It's just so, right. it's awesome. Zebras, not horses. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, would, I would counter with this. Why have the suicide rates and why did they spike in 2015? Because the mountains didn't get any higher in 2015. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> so this whole yeah. elevation thing is utter and complete bullshit. And the authors of that study should feel ashamed of what they <laughs> They are bad people for fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, they hold, they hold accountability. They are guilty for perpetuating a, a, a silly false idea in order to explain away what is actually well happening. well what's ha- what happens is and it, and i don't really discredit the the study i just feel like that what they were trying to shine a light on is one factor of many and this factor in in reality is much smaller than other factors that's that's the reality i mean you're exactly right colton that there's other major bigger factors that are that are causing people to commit suicide not the elevation that's that's not I mean, it's, it's, it can be a factor for some, but it's so small. But that's the thing is like if this study is showing this very small factor in it, great. But that's what needs to be highlighted is that it's a very small factor in it. Not, not, not the fact that people feel like they, they can't live with their family in, in the eternities. That's a much bigger factor that's being blatantly ignored and shoved on the wayside. And that's, that's tragic. And that's, that's a problem. And the problem is, is too many, you know, the, the church's reputation is on the line. So that's where that's where the church is like, we we can't go there because now we're talking about our doctrine being damaging and that's going to hurt our reputation. And now we can't go there. And, and of course we don't offer any apologies, right? Of course not. We're, 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 We're never wrong. Right. So, yeah, I mean, Tom, you're talking about basic research methods. Correlation is not causation. Right. I bet all of those youth who have committed suicide, I bet they all drank water as well. And so, <laughs> sure. again, just because there's a relationship, it's not causal. Right. But, it, you know, it really, as you can tell, it bothers me that they tried to use that as an explanation. And, boy, the church grabbed onto that and got their media organizations to run stories about sure. it instead of acknowledging what's right. really the, the bigger factors at play here, right? Right, yeah, yeah. No, that's uh, such such valuable stuff. And, and Colt, I don't know if we hit everything you did, but you have taken kind of this, this concept of shame and kind of um, exploded it a bit for me. There's so many different topics to worth exploring on this. And um, I hope you'll be willing to come on and uh, keep keep us in check and make sure that uh, we've, we're always thinking about uh, the different issues that we're exploring and being responsible to the listeners and, and really to ourselves as well. You bet. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate this, guys. You're, you're, again, you're doing a great job. Well, thanks. I, I, yeah, I mean, talking to someone who actually is in it, you know, uh, you know, we're, we're just a bunch of yahoos. <laughs> we're just, well, at least I am. I'm, I'm just speaking from my experience in the, you know, um, I don't know. I, I, I could, in, this, in this journey of becoming self-aware, sometimes I get really discouraged about it, realizing how difficult the path is to changing my behavior but when you make those incremental steps forward it's really beneficial my life has really 
taken a big turn forwards, not just my life, but like my relationships with, with my spouse and my friends and my family. So if anyone's out there and they're, they're either in it and they're getting discouraged or they're thinking about becoming a, a little more cautious and self-aware about things, I highly recommend it. Heck yeah. And therapy is Man, a really I'm, good catalyst for that. Amen. That's, no, what I I tell the, my, uh, that's what I tell my patients a lot of time that the most, I, in, my, in my opinion, again, one of the most important aspects we can develop as humans is self-awareness. Yeah. Because if we can figure ourselves yeah. out and what triggers us and why we do what we do and why we think what we think and be able to kind of monitor that, then we're elevated to a different level and reaching almost self-actualization. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, oh, such a, such a valuable insight. You know, I was at the, at the mid DC here at the um, national natural, was it the natural history museum? They were talking about oceans and there was, about evolution and different things like that. There was a line, and I'll probably butcher it, but I'm going to do my best, which is it, it essentially says that um, very, very big changes do happen with some uh, <laughs> very, um, very small things resulted in very big changes. Yeah. You know, that is that, um, you know, for very long periods of time, life was unchanged. And then some small things happened and that resulted in real major um, you know, advancements and evolution. And, and that gives me hope. That gives me hope with our um, species, with me, with my kids, is that maybe small changes, especially um, in formative years, can have dramatic um, impact on their own health and wellness. And, and for me, that's the goal is to try to constantly um, give my kids a chance to maybe not deal with the shit that I had to deal with. At least some of it. <laughs> At least some of it, man. Yeah. Amen, brother. Yeah. yeah, man. Well, Colton, thanks so much. And, um, and appreciate you coming on and we'll continue to have you on and, and, uh, have these, these conversations and wherever they, wherever they lead. Okay. I love it. Thanks guys for having me on. Hey, I got to tell you real quick, my popularity has skyrocketed since the last podcast. I have one new Twitter follower. No way. <laughs> yeah. So watch IMT out. Yeah. Watch out, world. <laughs> Hi. This is Hillary, Matthew, Ryan, Carol, Dashley, and I like to play bingo online while listening to Infants on Thrones. You can comment on this episode on the website, infantsonthrones.com. And if you really like what you hear, give the quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. I did. I did. I did. Anyone for the closing prayer? Thank you for listening to Infants on Thrones. Infants on Thrones.